Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Road to Energy Land podcast. I'm Mark Kapsinski. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer here at Energy Shares. And on our show, we love to talk to folks all across the world of renewable energy, whether it's how uh, developers are bringing new projects to life, how uh, new electrical uh, production is happening, all the way through to how consumers use electricity every single day for their devices, their appliances, and even in their brand new EV. We love to connect and speak and hear the stories about all the great individuals working across renewable energy and how they're making an impact on our world. Uh, today, my guest is Jesse Baker from Jewelcase. Uh, Jesse and I were on a panel recently at an equity crowdfunding conference, and uh, Jewel is doing some pretty interesting things. They also won an award at the conference, so congrats. And uh, excited to have you uh, here today, Jesse. Welcome. Yeah, it's great to meet you, uh, you know, prepping for that panel, doing that panel, and then to, you know, kind of circle back and continue the conversation. Excited to be here. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. Well, Jesse, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about Jewel, because I'm not sure if everyone's heard about Jewel, and uh, I think what you guys are doing are pretty interesting, and uh, I know you have a whole uh, kind of discussion around decentralization, which uh, factors into this transition of uh, fossil fuels to renewable energy, so I think folks will be really interested to hear about what you guys are doing, your background, and so on, so tell yeah. us. Well, yeah, I'm the head of uh, the vice president of marketing and strategic initiatives at Jewel Case. And I guess if everybody hasn't heard of Jewel Case, I'm not doing my job as well as I, I need to. Um, <laughs> Sorry I, about that. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, no, we, we are. I've heard about Jewel Case. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we're an early stage energy storage uh, you know, company really working on, on de a decentralized future. Uh, my background, I'm I'm an Idaho kid. I now live in San Diego, California, but you know, born and raised in Idaho. And um, Jewel Case is is, is an Idaho uh, company. Um, I do have a very disparate background, and now land, landed in kind of the renewable space. Not not so much intentionally, other than the fact that I knew I wanted to, you know, work on bigger human problems, and that's ultimately what we're what we're here to do. Um, but, you know, I, I have a background in, in sport and sport management, a background in business. I was a brand strategist uh, by trade. I've been a wildland firefighter. I've worked in public education. Um, you know, my career has been a windy, twisty road, but ultimately led me to Jewel Case, where I, you know, actually first um, kind of interacted with Jewel Case uh, in 2019 um, I saw them pitch and I actually became an investor first. And what really struck me, you know, the thesis of the business is that decentralization and having energy storage that is accessible whenever and wherever you need it really is the key to unlocking renewable energy. Uh, you know, from that time when Jewel Case uh, really was focused on, on consumer stackable systems that you think, you know, you might take. Uh, camping or tailgating, um, you know, bigger kind of scale bigger into um, you know the music music industry event space. Um, but now we're tackling some of the biggest issues that that are kind of looming over us right now, including you know EV charging and how can we solve that with e energy storage? How can we um, you know get rid of those large industrial generators that you see at every construction site? 
Um, you know, they're still, we're still active in the music and festival space. And you are, you'd be shocked at how much, um, you know, diesel fuel in particular is used when trying to do, you know, something like Burning Man. Um, it, it makes, you know, it's kind of counterintuitive to what uh, many of the, the missions are of the, of the, in the festival space about how dirty uh, events can be. So well, I, uh, I remember just at the equity crowdfunding space, they had several generators and food trucks with generators and you're going around <laughs> counting them and, you know, taking, yeah. uh, taking stock on, you know, how much, uh, you know, fossil fuel is basically burning to power, you know, this new renewable energy space. Right. And that'll, you know, I'll talk a lot more about, you know, that, that space in particular, but, you know, great, great venue, but they had, you know, five food trucks outside and each one of them had, you know, they needed portable power and generator just is the, the status quo. Right. And so when you start to think about those impacts, not only environmentally, but again, going back to the human side, um, sound, sound pollution, um, uh, you know, just the, the physical toll it takes to, to reload, um, fuel on a, on a daily basis, the expense to a small business owner, it really starts to compound uh, quick, much more quicker than, than you'd think. Yeah. And you know, you know what I, I find interesting is like, they're like at least you know i'm sure everyone is seeing it too but like this notion of electrification right where mm -hmm. everything is being electric powered but yet you know sort of the dirty secret is behind the scenes everything is still fossil fuel powered in order to create yeah. that electric uh, electricity in the first place and i think coming up with innovative and creative solutions to resolve that is key yeah, and I don't want to. I certainly don't want to be seen as an advocate for burning fossil fuels, but there are some advantages. Um, you know, at, at a much larger scale, there is efficiencies that you can by you know burning fossil fuels at, at a power plant has a much higher efficiency than burning fossil fuels on a small generator. Um, but it, you know, still there, there's a road ahead that we need to continue down and towards that electrification where we are completely eliminating or mostly uh, eliminating uh, the use of fossil fuels. You know, what, what we're saying in the road to electrification, the road to energy land is, you know, these, these mandates, corporate mandates, government mandates are ambitious and they're worthy. Um, but, and, and there's, there seems to always be one part of the equation that is lagging behind. And that's where Jewel Case and you know, in particular the business that we're doing with energy storage is trying to fill a gap. So in, um, EV charging, for example, you know, the, the state, you know, New York, MTA, they want to have a full fleet of 5,900 buses be completely electric by, um, you know, 2035. Well, that's going to take about 1.3 terawatts of power to, um, you know, power that fleet. Um, and up to up to now, you know, Con Ed, who services that 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 area, has only produced about 1.2 terawatts of renewable energy. So there's a huge looming gap, and you know, the the strain on the system, and particularly transmission generation, is actually much further ahead than I think people realize. And there's the bottlenecks in transmission that kind of limit limit what how much we can use renewable sources. But transmission really is the whole bottleneck to electrification um, because you always have to be tethered to that grid. So bringing yeah. in that idea of decentralization, being able to store renewable energy whenever and wherever it's produced, being able to transport that and then use it wherever you need to is, yeah. in, in essence, the core of, of dual case. 
I, um, I got to send you this article that I was reading last night that you would, uh, I think, love because it, it was, um, you know, I uh, with what I do at uh, Energy Shares, we focus a lot on the production of mm-hmm. electricity in the first place. But I was reading about, you know, storage and I'm trying to get up to speed and learn more about that space. And I found a great article that was talking about uh, and just kind of was a little eye opening about the problem. But part of uh, electrical production today is the fact that they actually have to overproduce mm-hmm. because they don't have adequate storage systems where you know consumers and businesses and stuff need it mm-hmm. and so thus they're like creating more and more electricity that basically just goes to waste and right. and you know i think what you guys are talking about on offering is a way of like we got to capture that so we produce what we need and then we use it where we need right mm-hmm. Yep, and probably not unfamiliar to that audience. It's the whole duck curve, right? Where most of the production happens, you know, in solar and in um, you know wind. So that production happens on off-peak usage hours. Um, yeah. So everyone gets home at 5 p.m. The sun's going down. You're getting less efficiency from your solar panels. But now there's not as much generation. But there's huge, you know, huge ramp up in in uh, you know the wattage that's that's needed. So. Um, yeah, we're trying to solve that with, with energy storage, and that's 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 what's needed. So, tell us a little bit more about Jewel. Like, what kind of capacity can you handle? I know you're talking about you have uh, configurations on trucks mm-hmm. now. Uh, when we were last talking, but like, give us a size and scale of kind of what you guys are doing and how you're attacking the market. Yeah. So like I mentioned, when I you know first interacted with the company back in 2019, we were really focused on um, the consumer space. Um, we have successfully pivoted away to, from, from consumer um, to a more B2B mindset and then grid, grid scale mindset. So our typical uh, business mobile business customer right now really is the beachhead consumer for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually food trucks. You know, like I mentioned before, we are we want to be the name. Uh, that is synonymous with food truck power. Um, And and why is because it's such a need and there's such a growing market, but it's just such a great use for, you know, renewable energy and battery storage. And so, you know, the the most basic system that that we sell is could range from uh, like three kilowatts in in power and five kilowatt hours in storage. Um, You know, that five kilowatt hour, threshold is really important because as part of the Inflation Reduction Act, everything above five kilowatt hours for energy storage, you also get that 30% tax credit. So basically, we only operate above that threshold, meaning all of our customers benefit from that tax credit. So our our typical food truck build is actually about 12,000 kilowatts and about 18,000 or 12 12 kilowatts and 18 kilowatt hours um, is a typical build. So that's actually the small size of our system. And we actually just uh, announced kind of an unveiled our new large, larger systems. And, And we're calling the whole package. Um, Olympus, and there's mm. a there's a power cabinet which is both inverter and energy storage, you know, called Zeus. Um, that's um, like 600 kilowatts with wow. 250 kilowatt hours of storage. Wow! And then matching with that, we have Atlas, 
um, which is 250 uh, kilowatt hours of storage. Wow. And, you know, the, the idea in the whole patent, you know, patent portfolio of Jewel Case is that we have these interlocking building blocks of energy and storage. We've decoupled them, we've separated them, but you can mix and match, stack them, chain them, scale them to as much as as much energy and power uh, as, as you need. The, the interesting question. thing... Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. Keep going. Oh, I, the, I was going to say the interesting thing and applicable thing for, you yeah. know, many, many growing consumers with Atlas is it enables level three DC fast charging. So, um, you know, that the size of that That's is actually uh, four feet by four feet by eight feet. Um, but you can drop those DC fast charging um, you know, wherever you need it without having to install transmission lines, without having to wait for permitting. Um, so it, it really is a, an advantageous product for the EV charging market in the short term. And again, I always like to think of everything in terms of progression, not perfection. Uh, everything we're doing is not a perfect solution. I, I yeah. you know, maybe marketing, yeah. I shouldn't say that, but it absolutely buys us more time if we're thinking on a broader macro scale and, and trying to create, you know, that progress towards our sustainability goals. Um, yeah. We are buying time, make it more, making it more palatable to have an EV, making it more practical to have an EV. Um, you know, there's a story we were down at CES, uh, you know, earlier this month and, you know, the host hotel, they had nine charging stations, which is, you know, far and away more than most hotels out there, most charging stations. And yet they had 147 Teslas waiting to be charged. Oh, right. That's not practical. Um, you know, I forget about uh, what exactly the, the conference was, but there was a conference uh, last month in Monterey, California. Where again, everyone drove their EVs and there just is not charging infrastructure. Yeah. And so all these very wealthy uh, EV, EV owners were going around knocking on doors, asking people if they could plug in just so they could get back home. Um, so again, it's a looming challenge. It's a rough just, way to live. <laughs> it's, yeah, it must be tough. Um, and, and that's just, you know, kind of the drawback of, of and the practicality of usage yeah. that doesn't even account for as we get mass adoption of EVs, what that's going to do to our power grid. It's already frail. It's already fragile. It's already aging. Um, it, it cannot handle at, in, the, in its current state, it cannot handle the influx of EV, EV cars that are coming. That's, yeah. So a couple questions. So in the configuration that you're just describing, is it a, uh, is it a permanent fixture, right? So someone would get a permanent or is it something where like you're coming, like you're dropping off a pack and then like several days later, picking it up and replacing it with a, a, a fresh one or like what's the how, what's the actual use case around that? Sure. Well, I mean, with anything portable, if you don't move it, it's it's permanent, right? But but no, these are absolutely made to be um, be movable, be portable, and that's actually again going back to Jewel Case's IP portfolio. We have this yeah. patent um, called the Modular Energy Storage System, or the MESS, as we call it. That actually allows the the transport, uh, you know, of these large battery modules. But you know, the, the battery itself, and it, it was about five thousand pounds, which means that it's completely movable by a very small forklift yeah and that was that was created with with intention so you can move it in and out wherever you needed uh, a lot of people have found as they've invested in installing uh you know ev infrastructure they realize oh 
like that may not have been the best place to host the charging charging stations, but it's too much of an investment when you need to put it somewhere else. So with this system, you literally can just and move it over. Um, so you can, you know, if you were working with partners to have like a central, uh, you know, hub, if you will, where, you know, there's appetite, you can just continually swap out systems as you go. They can be pulled by trailers. They can be pulled by, you know, small, like a quarter ton pickup. Um, yeah. And it just kind of swapped out as you need. Additionally, you can also just plug it into whatever grid infrastructure is there and trickle charge over time. Hmm. So you can kind of build up, build up, build up on off hours. And then once that EV comes, you know, the, the, you can discharge at a much faster rate. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a very flexible system. And really, after hearing what truly is needed, and I think that that's, that's sort of the dynamic we're in right now is what do we want to do versus what is needed and where can we find that middle road that that makes sense for for both sides um but hearing feedback and he hearing how to make this product truly practical in the lives of the people who are going to use it um we've landed on this system yeah it seems like a good solution and i like your approach which is like find something practical for de mm -hmm. today that solves today's solution not mm -hmm. like the uber solution of the future that you know we'll, we'll never get to you know uh, yeah because you're we, right i mean people are buying yeah. these cars and need to charge them today not you know wait for 10 years to figure out how you know the, the best solution mm -hmm. for charging will be yeah yeah, I mean, we firmly believe, you know, that we shouldn't be fighting against consumer behavior. Uh, right or wrong, um, could the consumer behaves in a way, and that, and that can change over time, but it just creates so uh, another hurdle that has to be overcome. You know, with EV adoption, the plugging renewable energy into a grid, having decentralized energy, we're already fighting against costs, which, yeah. you know, is in most cases, a much larger upfront expense than what is currently available from other sources. It might benefit you in the long run, but as we know, consumers don't always have the longest, longest term mindset. Um, so if we're already finding cost, um, many times, and we're finally getting there with technology, the product needs to work better or, or at least just as well. But if we can also, you know, plug into, you know, a typical consumer behavior, um, you know, it's going to be much more digestible and much more adoptable by a yeah. mass market. Now, if you think uh, about EV charging today compared to the old model with gas stations, like which one's more accessible right now? Again, I'm not deba debating which one's right or wrong. It's just there are gas stations everywhere. There are gas stations in rural Idaho. There are not charging stations in rural Idaho. Um, so if you had an EV charging a, D, a level three DC fast charger, every place there was a gas station that you could then plug into renewable sources, it's going to make it again much more adoptable but from the mass market um, of these of these solutions. I know, and we talked about this on stage. Yeah. I would been going back to range anxiety that everyone knows about. There's no way I could drive, um, you know, from San Diego up to rural North Idaho where my family is without just thinking like where you know where's the next where's the next station where's the next charger how am i going to do this let alone the time where again level three fast charging isn't isn't ubiquitous so then you're okay i'm going to plug into a level two charger and i'm going to I don't know, read a book. Netflix. So even you know, going back to um, you know, I've invested in an EV, it, it cost it costs more. 
you know, in yeah. theory. Um, and then it also doesn't work as well because I now have have to, you know, increase the the length of my road trip by 50 to 100 percent. Um, you know, right. You're already fighting against two things. Let's not fight against consumer behavior as well. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple more questions. So do you see uh, applications of your technology for uh, communities uh, and or uh, for utilities as well? Or is that still, you know, far down the road in your in your point of view? No, it's. Yes. Yes. And I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, definitely the thing that I think about more on the special initiative side of, of, of my job is how do we bring equity to this space? I mean, we're talking about EV charging. It's not EVs are not, you know, all that accessible to lower income and lower income groups. And they don't place charging infrastructure near uh, lower income right. groups and lower socioeconomics and minorities. And there's a whole host of problems with equity. Um, you combine with, you know, where we need, and I don't want to glaze over the fact that we're a battery company and that, you know, extraction takes its toll on the planet too. And I you know, am not unaware of that and very mindful of that. And we're taking steps to make sure that we have a responsible supply chain, including looking into new technologies. Um, but, you know, I, I read a report that about 75% of the American um, American controlled, um, you know, minerals that are used to, to create current battery technologies are within 20 miles of Native American reservations. Right. Always thinking about equity. So this technology can be placed again, just just placed into um, these communities and they can start to take control of their own renewable future. They can have their own energy storage that then they can transport around, move to however, you know, they need it. Uh, You know, I'm assuming a lot of people don't know that there's still 30,000, you know, people on the Navajo reservation who don't have grid access. Um, That's a huge, huge number of people that, you know, you don't really realize don't have access to grid. And, and why? I mean, I guess if you're just thinking about it from economic point of view, I mean, that's why the economics doesn't work to invest that much money into building transmission. Um, yeah. But what's the, the human impact there? Um, so this this solution would allow you to be able to have power energy where, wherever you needed it. And then on the municipality side, uh, again, there's such a drive to harness renewable energy you you can't you only have so much transmission infrastructure you can build out in a densely urban environment right so you're going to need energy storage to fill in those gaps those transmission gaps because it's just you can't build enough infrastructure and if we think about how much energy is needed today think about how much energy is going to be needed in five years 10 years 15 years and urban populations are only getting denser so they're it, it, it's it's coming to that that point um, where municipality municipalities and um, you know the coneds the the PSGs of the world have to look for new technologies in this space to truly serve their customers. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, you know, listening to you and thinking about tr- the transmission. I mean, I think the thing that people probably forget about or, or overlook is the fact that like gasoline for their, you know, existing vehicles is transmitted basically yes. 
in a truck. And so Mm -hmm. I think your model is really not too dissimilar. It's just you're transporting a battery versus, you know, a a truck full of gasoline or petrol. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's uh, it's basically the same concept of you got to move something that provides energy from one place to another. And I think that factors truly into the notion of how do you scale this thing is the movement of it, not just through transmission wires, but through, mm-hmm. you know, physically moving the energy from one place to another. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, yeah. how many how many tanker trucks do you see uh, on the road? And um, yes, it's just one for another form of energy. It's another form of moving energy. So, um, you know, one more question, because um, you did mention it, that you're looking at new technologies uh, for batteries and stuff. And uh, we'd love just to get your take on what are some interesting technologies out there that uh, you guys are following and, and maybe see some promise in? Uh, mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of different kinds and they work at different scales from like, uh, you know, I've heard of flow batteries and salt or sodium batteries to iron air and gravity and other things uh what anything in particular that stands out for you that you know maybe people should keep their eye on yeah i'll um you know this is going to pertain mostly to our business right um i I think that there's other technologies and exploration other technologies that probably benefit people you know more broadly but um for us it's it's you know for energy storage it's kind of two parts to this this answer is you know sodium based and and how how much sodium has caught up to lithium in the past few years i mean that's really promising and that allows us you know to have more control over the supply chain have um better a better impact uh you know more responsibly sourced supply chain and incurring lithium sources um, so sodium again is in, in large all the energy storage that is needed. I think that that's going to be a key technology for the next decade. Um, the second, you know, there's and there's always you know in our space we have two types of batteries. We have lithium ion and lithium iron phosphate. Well, lithium ion right has a, has a NMC has a much higher no, much higher. It has a higher uh, energy density, so you can. It's smaller, and you can do more things with it. So, you know, if a replacement sodium can you know replace the lithium iron phosphate. Well, then, what about the other thing where you kind of need a higher density, um, you know, applications? So we're we're really keen on on exploring you know the progression of like solid state lithium technologies, and and kind of the rub on that is how can we advance that into, you know, modern manufacturing techniques? So again, right. we're, we're having a more responsible supply chain. We're sourcing it ethically. Um, and we start to create efficiencies that we all expect from modern manufacturing. So I think between those two things, you know, are, the, are really what is going to drive the jewel case business, you know, in the coming decade. That's great. Well, Jesse, uh, we're just about out of time, uh, but I wanted to ask you, like, what are some final thoughts or things that people should be thinking about and and maybe taking action on after listening to this session today? So what advice would you give folks, basically? The reason that we went the crowdfunding route is because we know that the, the change, the shift, the upheaval to electrification is going to affect all of us. It's a singular moment in, in our in our history. I mean, once we once we get there, right? There's no going back, and that's why we thought that more people um, should benefit 
from our success, from from kind of charting the and navigating those new waters, we didn't want that to only be open to institutional investors. We wanted to be open to the crowd. Um, so that's why we went for the crowdfunding route, and it's really yeah. built a strong community for us. And so I, I would like what Energy Shares is doing. I think that community and that crowd, and how can we all you know benefit um, from these technologies? It should it should be open to more people. Awesome, Jesse. Thank you for all that you guys are doing and making progress and helping uh, on this uh, road or journey to Energy Land. So. And uh, definitely appreciate you uh, uh, joining me this morning uh, on this discussion. So thank you so much. And for everyone out there, thank you uh, for tuning in. Stay tuned for more episodes of The Road to Energy Land. We'll have uh, uh, other guests covering different topics as we uh, kind of explore what it's going to really take to change our energy source from fossil fuels to renewable over the coming years. So thank you for tuning in. And again, thanks, Jesse. Uh, really appreciate your time this morning and good luck uh, or continued success with Jewel. Much deserved. Yes. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Thanks. everyone. Energy Land. Thank you. Energy Shares LLC, also known as Energy Shares, its directors, officers, employees, representatives, affiliates, or agents do not provide business, investment, tax, or legal advice. No communication contained in these podcasts should be construed as a recommendation to purchase any security and content in these podcasts are for informational purposes only. Energy Shares, its affiliates, and employees makes any representation or warranty express or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in these podcasts, and any liability therefore is expressly disclaimed. Any investments referred to on the podcast podcast by Energy Shares employees and affiliates are privately held securities that are being offered via private placement. These securities are a high-risk investment, not publicly traded, highly illiquid, speculative, and an investor could experience an entire loss of their investment. These private securities are not suitable for all investors, and there is no guarantee an investment will be profitable or that there will ever be an exit strategy or an opportunity to liquidate the investment. When making an investment decision, investors must make their own determination and rely on their due diligence and examination of the issuer, the investment offering documents, and the terms of the offering.